This episode is brought to you by FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming, only on Hulu. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between, offering quality care and support virtually, in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. Hello and welcome to Series 4, Episode 3 of Out with Susie Ruffle. Hello. I hope that you're having a good week. Well, these go out on Monday, but I've got no idea when you're listening to this. It could be in the year 2027, for all I know. But today it's the 17th of October, 21. God, I had to really think about that, didn't I? Because we had that very strange year. Um, Anyway, I hope whatever you're doing, you're having a nice day. Maybe I'm joining you on a walk or on a run or on your commute to work if you're going in now wherever you are uh, I hope that you are having or have had a lovely day I'm really enjoying uh, this new series of the podcast we've got some really great episodes coming up I'm trying to get as many different types of people from across our wonderful uh, spectrum of LGBTQIA plus and so if you've got any suggestions please do get in touch Um, or if you want to just reach out and share your story with me you always can Uh, Some people get in touch and say, don't read this out. I just want to share this. And that's great too. That's lovely. And I read every single one of the emails. So know that I've read them and um, that I appreciate the kind things that people have said about this show. If you want to get in touch, the email is hello at outwithsusieruffle.com. As ever, I'll share some listener emails before we get on with today's fantastic conversation with Rose Schmitz, who I just think is fabulous. If you're a fan of the great pottery throwdown like I am I bloody loved it oh god during lockdown last year I was in every single episode and I cried every week because you know me I'm a big crier but what a fantastic show it is and uh, what a lovely fantastic interview this is I'm so thrilled that Rose came on the show so I really hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I enjoyed recording it okay but first as I said I'm a bit all over the shop this morning can you tell I've already had my coffee Uh, but first as always some emails Hello Susie, I've been listening to your show since the beginning and I really can't thank you and the guests enough. I'm 26 and have been seriously doing a lot of self-exploration in the past few years. I came out to myself as queer around 23 and it truly scared me but felt absolutely right. I only really told my mum after that because my father and stepmom are extremely religious and I'm terrified of being disowned. Fast forward to now and I'm just coming to the terms with the fact that I'm non-binary, possibly trans-masculine or gender-fluid. Also, the queer community where I live is pretty small, and in my experience, it's not really open to incorporating new people. So social media and other forms of media are my only connection to other queer people. As I'm writing this, I'm listening to your most recent episode with another listener who identifies as non-binary. I think that's a wonderful coincidence. 
I love how inclusive you are and I would love to hear from more trans men and trans masculine people because I think that's a perspective we haven't heard much from on this podcast. Thanks again. I think you're absolutely right. I haven't shared your name because you've asked me not to. Um, You're absolutely right. I've really tried hard to reach out to some more trans guys or trans masculine people and it's been quite tricky. Um, I've sent lots and lots of emails but we do have a trans guy coming up in this series. Um, I'll release it in the next couple of weeks for sure and I hope that you really, really enjoy that episode and I promise you I am trying but I will continue to try and find more voices from the trans male community and also from the non-binary community. You have my word. Um... And and as I've said before, all I can do is ask people. There's lots of uh, very famous people I've asked. There's lots of very interesting people I've asked. There's I've I've asked so many people, and um, sometimes people's diaries just won't allow it, and sometimes people don't really want to share their story in such a public way, which is totally fine as well. But I will keep trying. But hopefully, you really enjoy that episode that's coming up in 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 this series. I've already recorded it, and it's a really good one. And you're absolutely right. We haven't heard enough from from that perspective. And I will keep doing my best to try and make sure that everyone feels like at some point they're represented on this podcast. Okay, now we have a lovely email from from an ally, which um, is always lovely to receive. Um, I love that people listen to this show and uh, to, to learn more about our community and to feel like they can be better allies. I think that's really, really special. And so here, here's one from Jonathan. Dear Susie and team, I just wanted to get in touch and say thank you for the podcast in which you interviewed Darren Hayes. A tiny bit about me. I happen to be a 39-year-old straight white guy married with two young kids living in a small town outside of Bristol in England. Growing up, Savage Garden were my favourite band. When I saw Darren Hayes had tweeted that he'd given an in-depth interview about his life, I was keen to hear it. I know bits about his life, so I imagine I'd know a reasonable amount of what he would say. That is partially true, but I wanted to say I learned so much more. Growing up, only one person in my circle of friends came out when I was a teenager. Nowadays, possibly due to spending time with people of a similar age to me, the members of the LGBT plus community I meet seem to have been out for a good while. I assume. I never really ask people about how long they've been out. Your podcast has taught me that so many people have such internal conflict about themselves as part of the process of accepting their sexuality, even people who on the face of things appear to be very secure in their sexuality. That internal conflict would never normally come up in conversation, so I am so pleased that I have learned about it. I feel like if either of my children or anyone comes out, I will be better placed to have that conversation that will allow us to explore the process with them accepting themselves and hopefully minimise any trauma, guilt or shame they may feel they deserve, when no one should feel that way. Both Susie and Darren were such great communicators and listeners. It was a joy to listen to this podcast. Best wishes, Johnny. Thank you, Johnny, for getting in touch. It really means a lot that you took the time to, to send us an email. Uh, I loved that conversation with Darren. Lots of people got in touch um, after that. I think it was a pretty special one. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just, I'm really pleased that you feel that the podcast has, uh, will better serve you the next time someone's talking about their sexuality. And, and isn't that a wonderful thing for us in the queer community to know that there's allies out there like Jonathan who are keen and ready to listen and understand and are doing the extra work to know how to be, to be better friends to us. I just think that's brilliant. Uh, Before we get into today's episode, I received lots of emails about the Jane Hill episode. Lots of you really enjoyed that. I fell a bit in love with Jane Hill. I think we could all tell that from the interview, let's be honest. What a brilliant person she is. Um, I think we're going to go for a coffee soon. I mean, it's very exciting. 
Um, I should have we're both very happily married people, but I just think she's brilliant. Um, <laughs> right, before I continue talking about my love for Jane Hill, um, I think we should get on with today's episode. Um, if you want to be someone that gets in touch and if you'd like your email read out, please do get in touch with me. I've mentioned the email once already, but I'll do it again because why not? It's hello at com. Also, if you enjoy the show, I always appreciate a little tweet about it, popping it on your Instagram stories. I often share them. I always see them. So uh, I, I would really, really appreciate that. Share it with your friends. Um, and if you've got time to rate and review on the iTunes app, that's really, really helpful. Give me five stars. Go on. Right. Let's get into today's interview with the brilliant Rose Schmitz. If, like me, you are a huge fan of the Great Pottery Throwdown, honestly, last year in lockdown three, it brought me so much joy, more joy than anything else. You will already be very familiar with today's guest. Rose Schmitz, a deeply talented potter who is, of course, pottery technician on the show. Rose says, my ceramic practice is a way for me to delve into my identity as a trans woman from Delft in the Netherlands, using my Delftware pottery technique to create pieces that reflect my experience as a trans person. Having altered my body and identity allows me to gain ownership of the struggles of transitioning as well as remembering where I came from. I'm so delighted to talk to her today. Welcome to the show, Rose. Thank you. I mean, that's, that's a really lovely intro. Oh, well, I'm pleased. That's, I mean, I only ever have people on the show that I actually want to talk to. So it's it's a pleasure to be speaking to you. I'm really happy to be on the show. I, I feel like I should let listeners know uh, Rose is wearing a bow tie. Yes. Um, I was hoping she would be, but she's very on brand. Yes. I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like it's it's not a costume I wear on the throne. I mean, that's Those are my actual clothes. <laughs> your clothes. Those are my actual <laughs> clothes. It's just the apron. And that is now my actual apron I wear when I do pottery. So... <laughs> I like it. Years and years and years ago, I turned up to a stand-up gig. And when I got there, I was, you know, just wearing my clothes. Someone said to me, oh, I never realised you were a character comedian. And I was like, this isn't a character. This is who I am. Um, um, you're currently filming. We can't talk about it at all because it's top secret. But you're, how is The Great Pottery Throwdown? Is it very, is it an exciting show to be part of? It's great. It's amazing being part of The, the Pottery Throwdown can't say anything about a future series except for the fact that it is in the works and will be there at some point um and hopefully there will be more rose content that's good to hear as a fan of the show and and a fan of you that's good to hear i'm looking forward to seeing you put things into i mean i don't really understand how it works that you basically put it into fire and that's what makes do you want me to explain for the audience what my role on the show is (laughs) I would love you to explain to me because I've watched the show and I still I know that they give it to you and you put it in some fire thing. The kiln. Yes. Kiln. Yes. And that sort of does it like finish off the job. So where with Bake Off, all the bakers get to immediately just, you know, finish their own cakes and put them in the mm-hmm. oven and get them out an hour later or whatever. With ceramics, once the potters are done with their work in the, in the studio it then has to go through a whole process and I'm sort of the one that oversees that where, so I will take the pieces from the drying room to the kiln where it gets fired up to a thousand degrees and that's where it sort of transforms from clay into ceramic, as it were. Mm -hmm. So I sort of oversee that process and then it goes back to the potters, all those pieces and they glaze, they put glaze on the pieces and then it goes back into the kiln for another firing and then we've got the final 
you know, lovely, shiny ceramic pieces. So it's it's a whole faff making a competition show out of pottery um, because there are all these very, very long periods in between where there's a lot of stuff that has to happen behind the scenes. So when you, in, in the show, you see all these clips of me looking at the pots and like in the drying room and stuff. That I actually do that, that I am there basically by myself in the pottery, just looking after all these pots. How worried are you that you're going to drop one? Because that would be my biggest concern. I have never dropped a single pot and touch wood, I, I never will. It is a huge responsibility taking on all those pots, but you know. Yes. I'm pretty confident in my abilities. You're up and... for the job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm confident in your abilities. It's just a lot of pressure. It is a lot of pressure, but it is it is also a really nice job that I get to really sort of help these potters bring their their work to fruition. I get to really sort of look mm -hmm. over these pots sort of at a very crucial stage of them becoming their final piece. I mean, I really enjoy helping other people make their art. So it's it's a brilliant gig that I got myself here. <laughs> so I've read stuff about you and saying that Delftware pottery is sort of what you create when you're creating your own stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. You grew up in Delft in the Netherlands. For people that, yes. including myself, that have only been to Amsterdam. Um, <laughs> could you give us a little insight into what Delft is like? In terms of me being a ceramicist, Delft is the pottery city in the Netherlands. That's, mm -hmm. that's the main headline with Delft. It's got two things. Vermeer, the painter, was from there, and has Delftware, the very famous Dutch white and blue ceramic coming from there. And it's I mean, I always describe it if, if people are like, oh, what, what, what does Delft look like? I'm like, think if you've been to Amsterdam, think Amsterdam but scaled down. So all the buildings are smaller and all, and all the canals are smaller, but it's that that architecture, that style. So it's quite beautiful. It is quite beautiful. I'm in a weird position with my, with my Delft and Netherlands heritage because I, specifically as a ceramicist and someone who takes inspiration from it in my work, I sort of can't escape it. I mean, also as someone who looks incredibly Dutch, you know, I'm, I'm I'm six foot one with blonde hair and blue eyes and I have an accent. You know, I look incredibly Dutch, but I really sort of got very little contact with the Netherlands at all these days. So I don't really go back. I don't talk to my family much at all. Um, I mean, Delft is a, a, a beautiful place, but a place where I had quite a difficult time. <laughs> so. So do you live in the UK now? Yeah, so I've I've been in the UK for six years and you like it i really sort of made my home in the uk and specifically in london but it's a very strange time to be trans in the uk every week with new news stories coming out you always feel like well, well I, I did come here voluntarily what am i doing here yeah i can imagine that it's a very hostile place for trans people yeah. at the moment and I can I only see that from a, as the sidelines as an, an ally and a queer person but I can't imagine what that's like sort of the day-to-day -day grinding down of just like are you guys gonna yeah. stop fucking talking about us yet <laughs> which must be how you feel I mean I, I've really sort of made my home here like I came to London to uh, do a fine art degree and mm. and also just very quickly said no I'm staying here I've sort of made my whole life here now and it really is now, London feels like my home now. And, you know, with me sort of having cut off the Netherlands, more or less, you know, it really is, I'm, I'm here now. And I'm, I'm feeling like I'm gonna go down with the ship if I have to, I will <laughs> stay till the end. Like, 
I see a lot of trans people on social media saying like they're making plans to sort of be able to leave the country if they have to. Mm. Like that's sort of the stage where some trans people are at in terms of worrying about the politics here. But I'm thinking, no, I'm staying. I'm not going to let anyone sort of scare me away here. Well, I'm pleased you are, but I just also really hope that people improve and then you can just have an easier life. Oh, absolutely. I've just got a feeling like we're at at a sort of tipping point of we can either in the next 10 years really go the the absolute right direction and get better healthcare and more rights mm-hmm. or we could really go the other way and it could look very very scary yeah and disappointing and with so much of the transphobia that's around in the UK we also know that it's homophobia and biphobia and there's lots mm. of other and misogyny uh there's so much of it yes <laughs> I don't know. So I was saying to you before we started the conversation, there's not an awful lot about you on the internet. No, there's not. I'm a, I'm a mystery. I'm an enigma. <laughs> You're an enigma. That's the thing. So to actually pin you down for a, for a conversation is huge. I follow you on all the socials, but I don't actually know an awful lot about your background or your your life sort of predating mm. the Pottery Throwdown. Um, so let's start at the beginning. So I know that you sort of you've cut off your life from the Netherlands somewhat, but what sort of kid were you? Were you always into art? Were you always creative? I was definitely always into art. That was sort of the the main thing I've always been into. I had a quite difficult time as a kid in terms of fitting in and making mm-hmm. friends. I mean, sort of my, my only real friend was like, my, I've got a twin brother. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, he's, he's, he's very different from me. He's got brown curly hair. Uh, <laughs> where I've got my blonde straight hair, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's that kind of difference. But sort of he was my one sort of real friend and I really struggled actually making friends in school and stuff, um, which looking back, I do think had to do with the being trans thing and gender wise feeling like I couldn't, I didn't fit with all the boys, you know? Yes. Um, so I, yeah, so I always sort of found refuge in art I mean, I did really well in school. I was really good at getting high grades, but I just didn't care about actually getting high grades or any of the subject. All I cared about was art. So by the time that I was like, you know, 12, 13, that sort of age, I genuinely sort of was always frustrated of all these other subjects. I And by that time, it really started to get really hard in school because I really just, I was being bullied and I didn't have many friends. And I was going through all these subjects day long that I didn't care about. And all I cared about was just making my art. Was it always that you were into ceramics? Were you always into sort of creating something? No, not ceramics. I I specifically didn't do... It's really funny that I never fully went into ceramics until I actually left the Netherlands, which is actually a really interesting thing. Like, okay, so in terms of ceramics, I... Initially was mainly, I always, I I did sculpture. That was my main thing. Mm -hmm. I came to, so the last few years before I left the Netherlands, I was doing sculpture and fashion things. And I knew I was going to do art and ceramics wasn't really on my radar. All I knew about ceramics was, you know, everything I knew about Delft and the sort of the, the, the tourist shops and that whole culture around it. And I thought it was all a bit naff and sort of, you know, pu- pushing against, you know, the, the heritage of where you're from. Funnily enough, I did end up having a, like a, for like one of those school projects where you have to like have a week long internship at a at a place to get get a sense mm-hmm. of work when I was like maybe 14. And I did have that at the actual Delft Ware factory. So I did, I did get some 
insights in it, but I always sort of pushed against it and just went for sculpture. And then I, I got into art school in London. I studied fine art, specifically did sculpture. And at that stage, I was still very much rebelling against my Dutch heritage and saying, mm -hmm. no, 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 I'm not, I'm not being the potter from Delft, you know, the ceramicist from Delft. It's a, the, the Dutch potter is a sort of particular archetype that I was really railing against. What is that archetype? I think in ceramics, there are certain nationalities which are somehow slightly overrepresented. Okay. <laughs> well, I suppose there are certain nationalities which have a history of ceramics and therefore then produce ceramicists. There are a lot of various Asian countries with a, a ceramic history and they, they produce contemporary ceramic artists. Uh, and the same is with the Netherlands, uh, especially if you're born in Delft mm -hmm. and the thing that it's known for is the pottery. But when I was doing my fine art degree, it was during that degree that you really sort of pushed to reflect on your own identity and sort of you know dig deep and find stuff mm. to make work about. And again and again, clay kept coming up as a material because it's really effective to make sculptures. So at some point, I sort of said, okay, no, I'm just going to go for it. I'm actually going to channel my sort of, you know, my complex feelings about my heritage and my, you know, also my childhood in the Netherlands and actually just go for it and do, do a project just with clay. And then I just, I actually, no, I actually really love clay as a medium. I actually really love <laughs> pottery. And then I just sort of fully went for it and actually realized, no, those feelings I've got of feeling, you know, that I don't fully... I don't fully appreciate Delver. I still think it's naff. I still think there's a lot of very commercial things about it. But actually, I can use that and turn that into something new. And subvert it. And that's actually really empowering. Yeah, it's for me, that sort of making art has always sort of almost gone hand in hand with my transness in sense of that in art, I could really express myself. I, I have the control and I can make things the way I want them to be. And then now, especially I found in ceramics that you're working with clay and you're shaping a body and you're changing it and then using Delphi or where I'm from and changing it into something different works as a great metaphor for transitioning and changing my own identity and my own body. And so as soon as that sort of clicked in my head that actually ceramics is both a great medium to work in in practical terms, but also conceptually for my particular story and brand as an artist as it were it works really well and there's a lot to get from that it's really funny how i actually uh in the netherlands i really didn't do much of actual ceramics i was just surrounded by it all the time but that's fascinating how your experience of using clay and creating is so linked to sort of your identity in every capacity i mean of yeah. course i guess that makes sense for any artist and that you draw on sort of, I guess, where you're from and your, your personal experiences. But it's sort of, I don't know, it feels like such a beautiful metaphor for transness. Yeah, I mean, for me, it quite literally, telling my parents I wanted to study art and move to London was as big a deal for me as coming out as trans. Mm. So I quite literally, I was so scared of actually telling them myself that I had my... Uh, the, the the therapist I had at the time because I was really struggling. I I had her tell my parents 
because I was so scared of how they would respond. To you moving to London or to both, you? Both, to both. Me, to me wow. wanting to move to London, study art and transition because I that's there was I've been such a history both with my family and in school of just being constantly told that I was wrong or that I you know didn't fit in or that that the things I wanted and the way I behaved weren't right that yeah that I sort of was afraid yeah tell my parents that they would shut me down mm. so and I felt that if so so I had my therapist tell them because I was so scared yeah, and to me, it was just as big a deal sort of telling them, I want to study art, you know, I've got all these great grades, but I don't want to be a lawyer, I don't want to be a doctor, I want to be an artist. And that, and it, re- it really also just in school, the general vibe was, you're wasting your intellect and your skill at getting high grades if you're going into art. There was really very little support, actually. It really felt like I sort of had to, by myself, really you know, build portfolio and figure out how to do it. Yeah, without the support of, of the teachers or... Yeah. In the sort of time... I don't know how old you are, so... <laughs> yeah, that's classified. <laughs> it's classified information. I, I, I thought it could be. Because um, you're an enigma, remember? Yes. So, of course, we can't know your age. Um, but were you already an artist? Were you already or studying art when you came out? I mean, so I was... So I can say, when I came out, I was... 15 I think wow that's quite young it was quite young but it's but it's right at the age where yes. we were all being pushed to you know also start thinking about what you want to study where you want to go after school and yeah I mean at, at the time I was obviously queer that, that right. was as much as that was obvious I mean and I was very confused as well for a long time about my own sort of queer identity you sort of couldn't place it I mean partially because of there just being no representation of trans people so all you ever hear about trans people was from not very sympathetic documentaries or yeah uh, or in very you know insulting terms so it was something you really didn't want to be if at any cost so you know you tried to convince yourself oh no I'm I'm just a very feminine boy I must be I must just be a gay boy and I mean, my fashion at the time was also was definitely a way for me to express myself as well. And that was also obviously queer. It's interesting because I try and get as many trans people on the show to as much as the LGBTQIA plus family that, that, I, can, that I can have to chat, mm. to talk to. And I think that's something that has come up again and again with our trans guests who have shared their stories in that the lack of representation, it's so hard to realise what you are when you can't see it anywhere? It is really hard. Because think, thinking back, yeah, there was very much yeah, no representation at all, really. Mm. So it felt like it took quite some time before I actually realised, no, I actually, it's not just that I just want to be friends with the girls and be seen as one of the girls. No, I actually want to be a girl. That takes quite a long time to getting that clear in your head when mm. you have to do it all by yourself. I mean, it's being on the throwdown now. The messages I get sometimes from trans people, from particularly young trans people, saying how important it is to just see me on the show. It's it's really heartwarming, but it also makes me kind of sad because on the show, I'm just there. It's not mentioned that I'm trans. It's not part of the show. I'm just there. And that this little sliver of representation means so much to people is sort of yeah. a symptom of a wider... <laughs> 
issue still of a lot of representation. Yeah. On the one hand, it's definitely disappointing that there is su- such a lack yeah. of trans visibility. But it's still wonderful when, when people say, oh, my God, sure. I, I could, I've been able to come out to my parents because I could see I could say, look, I'm like Rose, who I've seen on the throwdown. Or I get messages from parents of trans children saying how important it's been uh, to them and their children. It's, it, the response has been really great. To it. And it must be lovely for people to watch you just being you, doing what you yeah. do really well, like really succeeding at your art, you know, and being creative. I'm I'm just, you know, a trans woman on on a show just doing my job and doing my mm. job well. I mean, not not to sort of toot my, my own horn too much. I represent a sort of different type of trans woman than the ones you usually see in the media because yeah. often, in very general terms, a lot of the trans women in media are quite glamorous and hyper feminine and I don't wear makeup I you know don't wear heels I wear my big dog Martin's boots and bow ties and you know I work with my hands in a pottery it's it's just a different way of being a trans woman and also sort of showing like you know I'm no less of a woman Mm. because I don't present particularly glamorously (laughs) or adhere to sort of beauty standards that yeah are sort of constricting for all women in in many ways. Don't get me wrong, lots of women do like getting glammed up or whatever else. Yeah, of course. You know, it's nice just to see, as you say, a different kind of person. And it's it's taken me quite a while to sort of get to this point where I can now just, you know, be very comfortable not wearing makeup, for example. Like I used to, earlier in my transition, I used to very much care about passing and about, you know, presenting properly feminine and... I've now gotten to a stage where I'm like, I don't care too much about passing anymore. That must be quite liberating. It's very liberating. I've I've sort of gone to where I'm like, no, I'm just unapologetically trans. I'm not ashamed of being trans. I don't care if people clock me as being trans because it is a huge part of who I am. And, you know, as long as they gender me correctly, I don't care. It's only when someone misgenders me that it's a bit annoying. But even then, I now feel like, you know, it's them that are the foolish ones. It's not me. Mm-hmm. If you misgender me when I'm, you know, I've got my my long blonde hair and wearing a full full length skirt, and I tell you my name is Rose, and you misgender me, then it's you that's being foolish, not me. I've mm-hmm. sort of flipped the script and said, no, 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 wait, wait. I shouldn't feel shit when you misgender me. It's you that's being wrong. Yeah, you should be embarrassed <laughs> of yourself. Yes, I'm not gonna <laughs> let you shame me. That, I mean, that's a perfect way to think about those pricks. <laughs> Um, but so you mentioned at the beginning of the conversation about sort of the hostility towards trans people in the UK currently. Did you worry about that? Like, how did Pottery Throwdown come about for you? Well, originally, I applied as a, as a contestant. Oh, wow. So, yeah, so originally I applied as a contestant. I got pretty far in the audition process, but then didn't get it because I basically already I worked at a pottery studio I wasn't Mm. quite a home potter. I mean, I wasn't a full-time potter, but I worked at a pottery studio. I had already had some work exhibited. um, Sure. So I couldn't quite be a home potter. And then fairly soon after I was told I wasn't going to be a contestant, I get a message saying, well, you know, so uh, Rich, the the previous technician, has Mm -hmm. been promoted to judge. We're looking for a new technician. And it's really tricky finding a good technician that 
is also good on camera and we know you've got the skills from your job and we really like you from the auditions. Would you like to do it? And I, I mean, I was pretty shocked initially because I, was, I, I didn't expect it in the, in the slightest. But very quickly, I said, absolutely, I'll, I'll go for it. And then sort of very, very soon after that, we started filming series four and it's been brilliant. And I think in the end, I got the better deal out of being a contestant or being a technician. I think, I mean, I think it was the right choice I, I, that I didn't get all as a contestant because mm -hmm. I, I mean, I mean, you know, not saying I'm a, I'm fantastic, but I think I would have done absolutely brilliant in all that, <laughs> all those challenges. <laughs> I think you would have. I mean, uh, they, they can be really tricky those challenges, but I, I, I do see now. Yeah, I, uh, I was already working in a pottery studio. I was, I was doing pottery sort of every day as compared mm -hmm. to what we are looking for in the contestants. So that's sort of how I got the role as a technician on the show. And I, and I do think that my whole personality and persona and, you know, the Dutch trans woman who wears bow ties, you know, and um, sort of looks like a, a mix between Doctor Who and Mary Poppins is quite, quite a get <laughs> as a character for your show. So I think that definitely helped. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think it's just nice that it's Pottery Throwdown feels very inclusive and celebratory. Oh, definitely. And, I mean, there's crying. Often amongst the contestants, there'll be queer people. It becomes like a family. You really get behind the stories. And so it makes perfect sense that like we fall in love with the technician as well. Like we want <laughs> to know her as well. I mean, I, I mean, I, I also... If, if you want to get really sort of highfalutin about pottery, it's like the idea that it's a trans person overseeing the transformative process of the pots that they go through is quite poetic. But I mean, like, you know, you mentioned that um, <laughs> on your website, like that, that stuff obviously is something that you've clearly thought quite a lot about, about how you work with this material that can change and can develop and can become something that you didn't expect it to be like there must be something that's quite I don't know like fulfilling or oh, yeah. identifying oh definitely I recommend everyone to go on a pottery course if they can I mean absolutely great this is this is my long way of seeing if you will teach me yes this is how <laughs> <laughs> I'm I, uh, pretty soon I'm, I'm getting my own studio space with my own wheel and my own kiln and I you're invited for a lesson I'm over the moon about that but yeah no but th there is there is something about just working with clay with your hands, getting your hands dirty and just changing a lump of clay into something, whether that's a pot or uh, a sculpture, there is something very fulfilling about sort of the directness of touching the clay and changing its shape. Mm -hmm. And the more you do it, the more you can make the clay do what you want. But it's also, also always still sort of a dance with the clay where you can do certain things, but you can't do other things. And really, the more you work with it, the more you get to understand it and work with it. And I mean, I I, I do think there is a lot of potential of thinking about clay in terms of bodies and changing bodies. And for me personally, I felt a sense of empowerment over my own transition through making stuff in clay, especially because I felt sort of the joy had been sucked out of my transition because of the medical gatekeeping. Right. So looking back, I'm like, actually, you know, transition is sort of a fantastic, beautiful thing. But because medical gatekeeping is so strict, it really feels like an uphill battle and a sort of a slog where you have to jump through all these hoops to get just a sliver of things. So it sort of, it ruins sort of what's 
should be a really empowering, you know, affirming experience into something that's really difficult. And now only after I've gone through my transition, really, can I look back and be like, actually, there is something beautiful in it. And that's sort of what I try to capture in my work. Yeah, and I think, yeah, clay lends itself really well to that. But I think for anyone, not just trans people, I think, have a go at pottery class. And, and it's brilliant. You, you, get, you get so many people... I noticed from Pottery Studio that I, that I know that when the Pottery Throwdown airs a new series, like genuinely, you know, people signing up for lessons go up. Me and my mum have have said that like <laughs> we're going to go together. Yeah, <laughs> because we watch it together and then talk about the show the next day, <laughs> and like we 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 have to check that the other ones watched it before we talk about it to see who's gone out. Oh, oh great, that's so cute. <laughs> and we were like, we must go together. We must go together. We're going to find a class, and she's gonna, and we're going to go for like a day of pottery together. Yeah, and then you go and you sit at the pottery wheel and you find out it's actually way harder than you thought <laughs> i mean i can imagine it's so bloody hard i can imagine I, i'm not actually whilst i'm creative in like writing and stuff i'm really crap at art like it's one of my great sadnesses that i can't draw i can just about color in it's really not good like even pictionary people are like what are you trying to draw this isn't it's not my forte but I kind of, even in spite of all that, I still think I'll sit at the pottery wheel and be like, I found it, I found my art, I'm great at this. <laughs> I, I love teaching first-timers at the pottery wheel because they, they always have such fun in it, even if it goes wrong. There's still something, there's something inherently funny also about, you know, wet clay and get your hands all yeah. dirty and this wheel that's spinning around and the clay goes everywhere there's sort of a, a childlikeness yeah there, there is, is word? about there, it yeah there, there is a there is a sort of yeah a childlike glee you know playing with clay i mean there is something very primal about it as well but then when you get a bit as soon as you start to get a sense of how it actually works especially at a pottery wheel it can feel a bit like magic that you sort of tamed this this wild material I like that. I'm excited. <laughs> when you were saying about the sort of the medical gatekeepers, is it a similar scenario in the Netherlands as in the UK? Because I obviously only have a real understanding of sort of NHS. I mean, it's better in the Netherlands than it is in the UK. Definitely. I mean, I personally, I was very lucky. Right when I started transitioning, there were talks about like waiting lists getting longer. And I somehow managed to sort of slip through them and get relatively fast through, you know, getting puberty blockers, the hormones, to getting surgery and everything. And But still, it felt like an, like ages. It still was too long. I still, I still was, you know, when I was starting at that age where you are going through puberty and you are just waiting to finally get puberty blockers and stop this puberty that you so badly want to stop. And you feel like you have to go through some Kafka-esque system of weird tests and jumping through hoops and yeah. people that, you know, struggle to do their admin properly. And it's, it feels like they aren't there to help you transition. It feels like they are standing in the way of your transition. Mm. And I definitely think I was very lucky that I managed to transition as fast as I could compared to here in the UK. But I think it was still too slow. Mm. It still felt like, yeah, like, like they kind of ruined transition as an experience. That's sort of a thing people don't really talk about. That actually, it's not just that trans people need the healthcare to stop them being miserable in their gender dysphoria. It's also that all that gatekeeping just 
ruins something that should be empowering and is actually something that isn't a horrible thing to go through. It could be something that's beautiful and powerful. Yeah, totally. Because I can only imagine that if you're waiting for puberty blockers, if you're sort of watching your body change, you'd just be sort of... It's awful. I can only imagine that I'd be sort of obsessed with the mirror. Yeah, yeah. It's The way I describe it is it's it's like being Jeff Goldblum in The Fly, Cronenberg film. <laughs> right. It's like yeah. it's like your body is changing in all these monstrous ways and you can't stop it. And it really feels like you're living sort of a body horror film. And I, you know, I really... I have a feel for specifically trans teenagers going through puberty and not being prescribed puberty blockers. That's that's for me sort of the, the, there's a real I think apathy towards the suffering of young trans people in that sense. Well, I also think there's so much misinformation about what puberty blockers do. Oh, absolutely, and so much misinformation about people changing their mind or deciding they're yes. not trans and that I think of course that may happen but it's at such a lower rate it'd be like you know someone is going to get a bad reaction from some kind of medication but it doesn't mean that you stop everyone from having the medication because you're yeah. worried about that one person having a bad reaction to it but even more with puberty blockers it's something that's completely reversible and it is it is literally just sort of a stopgap. Mm. It sort of just gives you waiting. It, it it just gives you more time to consider those decisions. Like it's it's actual cross sex hormones that have certain effects that may not be reversible. But puberty blockers is basically basically in my opinion, it's like if you get a, a trans teen should be able to go to a GP, say, I, I've got gender dysphoria here and this, maybe go to one more appointment with an expert, and then you immediately give them puberty blockers, and then you get to the stage of talking, do you want to continue transitioning? Puberty blockers, they, they really aren't a irreversible thing. If a child goes on puberty blockers and then stops taking them, they will go through their uh, natural puberty again, mm. and nothing is really lost. It's it's this myth that's been created of it being a gateway drug, yeah. a gateway drug to transness. That's one of the things that made me make me feel so frustrated with. I mean, I suppose that's also part of why I left the Netherlands is that I've just got that's part of a really bad experience I had there. Mm. I've just had th those kinds of experiences there a lot, and that's what I associate with the Netherlands. I was like, nope, I'm making a new start somewhere else. You know, it's, and the Netherlands is is fine. It's all right. It's a good place to live. I just personally had a bad time there. How do you think it is to live as a trans person there? Is it is it less hostile than the UK? I definitely think it, it's less hostile than the UK. It's, that's partially because the UK in particular has a really bizarre... Obsession? Obsession. Yeah, the, 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 the British media has a sort of weird obsession with writing stories that sort of support quite extreme anti-trans positions, let's say. Yes. But in the Netherlands, there was, I mean, equal lack of representation. I think it's mm. getting better now. I remember, like, just as I got to London to study art, there was a series on in the Netherlands of Next Top Model, the Dutch version, mm -hmm. Holland's Next Top Model. And there was a contestant was revealed to be trans and she actually went on to win the series and I remember how important that felt to me and how, how much I wished that that had happened years earlier yeah if you could have seen that as a teen yeah I think the Netherlands is quite a liberal progressive country but there's still I mean there's still a lot of very ingrained 
backwards thinking mm -hmm. in society there with very sort of old ideas of gender and its associated stereotypes. And now as someone that's sort of out in, in a public way, was there, I know that you said that you applied to be on the show as a contestant, but was there any fear around that about being, you know, obviously you're out to your family and your all of your friends, but was there, and I know that you say now that you're sort of very happy to be, if someone's clocks you as a trans person, you don't care, which is fabulous. But was there any sort of fear of being like, oh, this is going to be like a, a thing that is much more public? Yeah, well, I mean, I've always known when I wasn't like when I was in art school, you know, when I didn't have a sort of public profile or anything, I always knew at some point if I get any success, I'm going to get transphobic attacks online at some point. I've always been aware of that as a thing that right. would happen eventually. That's so disappointing. It's it's almost it really doesn't affect me because it's such a sort of fact of especially I mean online life especially and I mean, there was a bit of like, yes, I'm. I know this is going to happen. The more of a public profile I get, the more people will say stupid things on Twitter. Mm. Just back in the Netherlands, for years, I couldn't walk down the hallway in my school without being stared at and laughed at and bullied. So I build up a real thick skin of just being like, no, 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 I will be myself despite what you all say. And I will just try to succeed despite all that and these days I, I feel like in some ways I flipped the script in terms of being trans being something that could give me difficulty in life I've turned it into the most exciting and marketable thing about me sometimes you think like oh am, am I am I just you know exploiting the fact that I'm that I'm a minority for for, for gain but then you think well, no but you know what if I don't do that, then it's just going to cause me all kinds of trouble in life. So I might as well just say, no, no, I'm trans. And actually, that's something really cool and something really exciting. And that's part of what makes me interesting and makes my work yeah. know, authentically different to others. Yeah, I, I don't know if you feel that when you do your comedy about being gay. That Yeah, I think so. Like, I think for a long time, I sort of, I remember, and I said this before on the pod, but like, you know, I remember thinking at sort of oh, 17, 18, I came out when I was 21. I remember thinking like if I could flip a switch and just be like the other girls, I would do it in a heartbeat. I would just, I would just do it. And now it's sort of something I really love about myself. I really love that I'm gay. You know, I like that I have a wife. I like that I'm different. I like that, you know, I've got a real wonderful audience, but quite a lot of young queer kids come and see me. And sometimes they come with their parents. And I love that I'm this maybe like touchstone for you know for, for, for where they are sort of navigating their identity at the time and I, I I love that about myself and I also love that it's become something that you know my audience isn't only queer people it's lots of straight people who just don't give a shit who are just like oh you're funny I'm like great I can be authentically me and just be funny oh, yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess if I'm being really honest I, I feared for a long time that my gayness would sort of repel people and would mean that people didn't want to engage with me and get to know me but now I see it as sort of one of my strengths and I like that about myself. But that was, that's been quite a long journey, <laughs> if I'm being completely honest. I mean, I mean, for me too, it's taken some time before I started making artwork that explicitly was about being trans and I explicitly would write, you know, this is about my experience as a trans person. Like 
first few years in art school, I specifically didn't want to make any work about being trans. I just wanted to sort of just live my life and sort of not let it, I mean, quote unquote, define me. But mm. but then, like I said before, in art, specifically when you're doing studying fine art, it's it's all about, you know, what what is your story as an artist that you're bringing to the table? What's unique about you? And also realizing that actually something that's so personal to you and it has actually given you a lot of you know heartache in life can actually be really powerful to actually push to the forefront and say actually I am this and you know there actually I've got a lot to say about it Mm. yeah totally and I'm sort of creating from a different perspective that is interesting and, and and like getting energy from a different place almost and I mean for me as well because there is so little trans representation it feels like well there's a gap in the market. There's a gap in the market for a trans ceramicists. So why not go for it and just fill it and just just make work that in many other ways conforms to a lot of sort of aesthetic principles mm-hmm. of ceramic. But I'm doing it about a subject that's sort of in some ways quite unorthodox within the ceramics realm. When you say when you were at school and people were already looking at you, and I know that you said you came out when you were around 15, were you out at school? I was never out at school as trans. I was more or less out as a gay boy. Right. At the time, I, I almost convinced myself I was attracted to boys. I wasn't really. I've only been able to admit to myself that I like women after I've transitioned and sort of come from my own femininity. Mm-hmm. But at the time, because of all those weird gender feelings I had and I couldn't quite place them. The only ways I could sort of place them was through sort of aesthetic means of mainly fashion. First disclaimer, in the Netherlands, there are no school uniforms. So I had complete freedom to wear whatever I wanted. So I I wore clothes which were quite feminine. I know I wore skinny jeans. I wore, I mean, I wore bow ties. I wore scarves. I wore fancy shoes. Um, Where everyone else wore jeans and hoodies, you know, Mm -hmm. I was quite dressed up. And at some point I would even wear some makeup. I definitely was very visibly queer Mm. to everyone. And there was a real, I think most most of the other kids were mainly just confused by, by why I, why would someone do that to themselves? Why would someone not conform with the rest of it, of the crowd? And there, I mean, there was, you know, a real atmosphere of, you know, people using gay as an insult yeah. and stuff like that. Um, I mean, we had a gay head teacher at the school and that didn't stop it. It's like, that's 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 the level of how ingrained it is sort of with, with young people yeah. still, is that even knowing that in that school we had a sort of a no zero tolerance policy for homophobia you still did it because you i mean yeah <laughs> so i sort of just had to accept that yeah i'm going to have to to be myself i'm going to have to do that in spite of everyone telling me it's wrong and trying to tell me and bullying me for it and still doing it i mean i, f- I felt at the time sort of for me expressing myself specifically through my fashion was the only way that I could really you know exert any sort of control over my life mm-hmm. yeah because I was you know I was in a, in a school system that didn't give a shit about any of us we were just numbers on a spreadsheet to them I 
didn't really have many friends. I was bullied a lot. If you ever, you know, reported the bullying, nothing really happened. You basically just got told you should get over yourself. The teachers treated us like crap, really. And, you know, if you ever called them out on treating us badly, you know, you you were told, yeah, just just suck it up. So to me, my fashion, it really felt like that was the only thing I could control, the actual yeah. clothes I put on my body. And the only thing that gave you agency to be yourself. Yeah, it was in my fashion and it was in making my own art so that mm. I actually had proper agency. The rest of the time, I had to sit through lessons I didn't care about and I had to be around people I didn't like. Yeah. So... <laughs> So I worked really hard to build a portfolio. So I really sort of set my sights on getting out of that that place. So for the last few years I was there in the Netherlands, I just worked on getting together a portfolio, getting into art school in London, getting my transition going. I, I started my transition maybe a year before I actually left the Netherlands. Right, okay. I was on hormones by the end of my final year there when I was maybe 17 and I never publicly came out as trans. I quite literally, the day after we all got our diplomas, I did a post on Facebook coming out as trans and never saw any of those people ever again. It just, it didn't feel like it was worth it to try and go through the difficulty of coming out for Mm. only half a year with these people that I didn't like to begin with. And it was great that I could then just, the next year I could go to London, I could properly start a new life where no one knew me before. And actually I was finally for the first time properly appreciated for just being me. To now to the point where I'm cast on a show basically as myself. Yeah. Uh, Actually wearing my own clothes and just being me. It's such a wonderful (laughs) success story. I love it. It's worked out really well. <laughs> but that's great. And I think they're the stories, you know, you you hear a lot about, you know, people having dysphoria, but you don't hear about euphoria. You don't hear about yeah. the joy as much. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's really difficult to get there. And it really, and I do think, yeah, it is the systems, the gatekeeping systems that really sort of prevent us from talking about positive trans experiences because... I mean, for one, there aren't many positive trans experiences because for so many of us, it's really difficult to just get to, you know, a basic standard of living. Yeah, and get healthcare. Getting healthcare, relieving yourself of dysphoria, that's that's hard enough Mm -hmm. in itself. And then you need to, you know, compete in just society in general, which is also just hard enough by itself, which is also, yeah, one of the other reasons why I'm, I'm... really vocal about my trans identity and just being trans in public and unapologetically trans is because, yeah, I I am doing well and have good trans experiences and I just want to share that as well, yeah. I love that. Now, Rose, we're coming to the end of our chat and I have thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so, so much for giving me your time. I really appreciate it. Now, the question that I ask everyone that comes on the show is if you could, I don't know, I'm thinking of that version of you at school who had trouble making friends or, or if there's someone listening that's, you know, living that right now and, and they may be feeling that they have a similar story to you or that they really align with part of your story, what would you say to either that version of you or, or someone listening that's that's in a similar space? I think I would say to, to keep going and that it's worth it in the end. Yes, it's going to be hard, but in the end, it's worth it. 
sort of keep your eyes on your goals and what you want to achieve. And even if everyone is telling you that you're wrong, just to keep going, sort of not give up. That there is light at the end of the tunnel and it, you will look back in the end and say, you know, it was hard, but it was worth it. That is perfect. I'm so <laughs> pleased that you're on our screens and that you're on the show. And I oh, think it's just so wonderful and positive to have that visibility. And I And I can just imagine that there are countless you know trans but also queer or anyone that just feels like they don't quite fit in to those sort of boxes that 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 are prescribed to us by society I can imagine that seeing you and I know that seeing you on the show and seeing that visibility is really special so thank you for talking to me let's also mention I know that you sell your work you said that you're going to start a pottery studio (laughs) there'll be people listening going a I want to buy that b I want to come with Susie and learn how to be a potter (laughs) For, yes. for our new career in ceramics. Where can people find out stuff about you and buy your stuff? I only have work up for sale sometimes because it, it takes me a while to make it. Sure. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at Rose Schmitz on both of them. As long as you spell my name correctly, that's Schmitz, that's S-C-H-M-I-T-S. My dyslexia has so much problem with that. I'm like, S-M? Like, I know I have all the right letters, but they are consistently in the wrong order. It's it's seven letters, only one vowel. Uh, right. <laughs> <laughs> but if you, if you type in Rose Schmitz, and as long as you get the S-E-H right, I should probably pop up. You'll pop up. Mainly on my Instagram uh, for my actual ceramic work. If you want to follow me on Twitter, that's why I do a lot of trans shit posting. That's, that's what I do there. <laughs> well, I think everyone should follow you. Uh, thank you so much, Rose. That was great. Thank you for having me. My absolute pleasure. (laughs) I absolutely loved that conversation. I really hope you did too. Yeah, loved it. Loved it. Love her. Can't wait for another series of the Pottery Throwdown. That's that's the truth of it. And uh, I'm very looking forward to um, her teaching me how to be a potter, which I think that's almost certainly going to happen, isn't it? Isn't it? Who knows? Thank you for listening. Huge thank you to Rose for coming on the show. I hope you have a great week. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, I hope that uh, this podcast has brought you a little bit of joy today. And I'll be back with you next week. Uh, if you want to get in touch, you know the email. It's hello at But until then, take care and bye-bye. <laughs>